Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sex Sales Podcast, the podcast where a comedian talks to a relationship therapist. Today, we are talking about the urge to control. Uh, it's part of the human condition. We all want to control things, some more than others. And can it lead us astray? How do we mitigate against some of the negative consequences of that urge to control? And what observations have we seen in our lives uh, when it comes to the urge to control? I know I definitely have uh, ample experiences in that regard. Eliza is, uh, well, she's going to give birth any probably any week now. So uh, good on her yeah. for doing this. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. I'm sore and um, I'm getting out of breath a lot. So if you see me hyperventilating, just ignore it. <laughs> My lungs are a bit compressed. <laughs> but yeah, it's good. How are you? Trooper. Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Uh, this is, <laughs> what are you feeling? Like it's quite literally about to happen. So yeah, just feeling. Like I feel sore from like literally my skull to my toes, like everything aches. It's so having a baby is so heavy. I, I don't want to say I didn't realize it'd be that heavy, but it, it puts a strain on the little old body. So, but I, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to just giving birth, um, and having a baby. So countdown's on now. Yeah. Very exciting. Can't wait to be done with this. Longest nine, ten months of my whole life for sure. Everyone's like, I fly by so fast. It absolutely does not. But I'm sure it does for some people. So you want any Adrian was saying to me the other day, he was like, Oh my god, it's gone so quick, I can't believe it. And I was like, Are you fucking it feels like it's Easy been for four him, right? years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he did the work a couple of months ago. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. What sort of are you on any medication or anything like that? Or is it just no, it's too difficult because they're yeah, because you're actually got a, a baby inside of you, you can't really take pain yeah, pills or anything. Can't take anything except like maybe like a Panadol on the very rare occasion. If it's like so unbearable where I can't walk, I'll take a Panadol. <laughs> but um, other than that, I just get Adrian just like pushes me up every hill and upstairs and it's <laughs> behind me. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> pushing me up. So, and then I just been, I'm on mat leave now as well, obviously. So um, just been chilling at home a lot, which has been so boring, but um, so we'll see how I go. I was planning on taking 12 months off, but <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to do that now. 12 months. We shall see. Yeah, off from my um, my job. Mm. But I was thinking maybe I'll come back a little bit earlier. But I went and looked at a couple of daycares last week. And I felt like an idiot being like, oh, I don't want it for another 14 months or something. Or another 12 months. And she was like, girl, you should have been here like the week you were pregnant. You, there's no way you'll get in anywhere within 12 months on the central coast. Damn. And she's like, so many people moved up from Sydney and like, then they just bought a house and had a baby. And I didn't want to say that's exactly what I did. And I was like, oh, those Sydney people so annoying. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so I called like five other daycares and they all said the same thing. They were like, oh, we'll, we'll put you on the list, but no guarantee we'll have a spot in a year. Wow. Isn't that wild? Yeah. What do you think is the that's we should we could probably do a podcast topic on that on just daycare specifically mm -hmm. because it seems to have transformed a lot with so many women now um, wanting to stay permanently in the workforce. In, mm. in in very brief terms, what do you think is going to happen on that front? Do you think the the government is going to have to support it a lot more? Do you think you know that there just has uh, to be more stay at home husbands or or the extended family will play a bigger role? What's What's going to happen? It's a bit it's a bit hard. So the ones like I've been looking at, I still don't really understand the subsidy because I don't know if I'm eligible for it based on our incomes or anything like that yet. I haven't applied. But from what I can see, if I am eligible, the standard price is like $150 or $160 a day. And then if you get subsidy, it's about 70, 80 bucks a day that you have to pay. So for a lot of people that can still seem like a lot of money so I don't know if the government would do more because they're already halving the cost of daycare um but taking a... it's also like oh sorry sorry you go sorry. on sorry I was gonna say it's also one of the industries along with nursing that has like the highest um rate of people dropping out of employment now because they're like I'm not getting paid enough fuck this um Oof. so they're overworked and underpaid so it's it's really hard to find 
And I don't want a daycare where I've got random people coming in and out all the yeah. time. <laughs> so it's, yeah, And, it's and forgive my ignorance here. Most of the daycares are run privately, right? They're not, it's not like public schools or anything where the government actually, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I might have to all look right. into something like that. But um, that just sounds so stressful. Oh, my God. Because that's a big, yeah. that's a very significant time in the baby's life, but also in the parent's life. So, and and not to mention with the yeah. interest rate rises going on now with a lot of people having moved to places like the Central Coast because they wanted a, to be able to afford a house. And now, I mean, my mortgage repayments have gone up quite considerably and I don't have, I got a pretty, yeah. I got a one bedroom apartment. So for a young couple with yeah. a um, four three four five bedroom house if they're on the variable rate the 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 repayments have gone up substantially and you and you take into account fuel costs um Mm. i i don't drive too much i'm sure adrian has to drive a lot you know this sort of stuff is gonna yeah is gonna be uh pretty tough for uh young parents how are you not to sorry i probably shouldn't have just said that as you're just about to give birth (laughs) bad timing neil but um (laughs) just generally speaking what do you think that's going to mean for you know, expectant mothers and and um, young families with the cost of living pressures. Yeah, it's crazy. I don't know how. I think that I'm in a really lucky situation um, financially, and we have. Well, we Adrian has other assets that, if it really came down to it, he could sell his other property, and um, we could get a fair bit of money. So thanks, thankfully, he invested really young, uh, which was smart. But I do know if we didn't have that um, as a backup, I'd be really, really stressed thinking we're taking a year off, we're planning a wedding and we've got a baby. Um, and yeah, he's, he's not, you know, he's a landscaper. He's not a huge earner. Um, without my income, we're just going to be, we'll be comfortable, we'll be fine. Um, but I think that, yeah, the changes, the mortgage, we already paid, we paid way more than we should have for our house. We probably paid $200,000 more than what it would have sold a Whoa. year ago. Um, so then because of that, we also had to pay like a, I can't remember what it's called, like mortgage insurance, oh, yeah. which basically says like, I can't remember how much extra, but um, a lot of extra money just to be like, we'll continue to pay for it. And we know that we overpaid for this house um, and the house doesn't meet the value of the house. But now the value's gone up. Apparently we got revalued and it was like, it's already a hundred thousand more than what we bought it for. So that's $300,000 more than what it was a year ago. It's crazy. Wow. I can't like fathom it, but yeah, it's, it's going to be, I think a really big, um, stress for people that are wanting to start families. It's going to be impossible for a lot of people, especially if you live in Sydney. Um, my friends that have babies, they have to live in an apartment. Um, and there's pros and cons to that. And they have like landlords and neighbors complaining about them because they've got crying babies. And it's like, well, what can you do? <laughs> Can't really shut a baby. Life. What are you do there? Come on. Yes, it's a it's a struggle. It'll be interesting to see what happens because you know, with everything going on in the world, there's such a push for everyone to have babies. So, bless you. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what the future holds. But for us, I think for now, we're fine. We're okay. I'm not I'm not stressed yet. Um, but I'm not one to get stressed at the very last second. So. But I think we'll be all right. Yeah, I mean, just before just before we get into our uh, sponsors, it's good to know that you're going to be you're going to be you've got some of those um, backups and and things like that. But just thinking mm. about a mortgage repayment, that could you know people would realistically have a mortgage of sometimes a million dollars. Now they, they've made that choice. Yeah. That's fine. But uh, mm. the repayments of that, I mean, it just just very uh, quickly in my head, you're looking at potentially. Yeah, maybe a thousand dollars a week kind of thing. That's what you're looking yeah. at there, and then you add daycare onto that, which, yeah. as you said, is what minimum seventy dollars a day, extra three hundred and fifty a week. Yeah. I mean, we're talking yeah. about, and then if the mother's not working, I mean, talking about a big, uh, a big cost here to to 
Yeah. Just not even, it's not like you're buying the uh, ostentatious, expensive things for your baby there. This is just now yeah. considered the basics. So, um, I know, isn't that's, it? Hectic? That's very stressful. I don't know how the Catholics yeah. do it and, and still have five, six, seven babies in this day and age. It's, it's the family support, I reckon. A lot mm, of it comes from that. A lot yeah. of that probably does, yeah. Takes yeah, a village. Yeah. Move back in yeah. with the parents. <laughs> That's the joke yeah. with millennials, isn't it? They're 30, what are they? They're 32, 33, and they're still trying to adult. But hey, look, the way things are going, <laughs> Gen Z, by the time you're 32, 33, good luck. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, that'll be, they'll all be like heaps richer than us because they've figured out how to crack the oh, system and some of them potentially, but really uh, interesting to see. Yeah. I don't like watching the news now. Any, anyway, on a slightly more positive note, um, <laughs> we, like I said, we're going to talk about, uh, controlling behavior, not just controlling behavior, but the urge to control that comes from a given individual. And just before we get into that, I'm going to talk about the sponsors. You can skip through this, but, uh, they're a big help to this podcast and it would be very nice if you if you listen through. We are sponsored by Steady Freddy. Uh, if you're a man who suffers from premature ejaculation, uh, you should look into getting the Steady Freddy Delay Spray. It's formulated by Dr. David Reiner. A couple of sprays on the old Johnson and you will last longer. Uh, all the ingredients are on their website. Go to steadyfreddy.com. They also have uh, ball boost tablets that help boost your testosterone and things of that nature again all the ingredients on the on the website and you could they also have condoms they have wet wipes they have a whole range of sexual health products for men so go to steadyfreddy.com use the code sexcells and you will get 15% off uh, so use the code sexcells you'll get 15% off we are also sponsored by crush organics crush organics have a huge range of CBD oil and CBD oil products. Uh, as all the listeners know, I'm an avid user of their CBD oil. It's part of my nighttime routine. Sleep like a baby. So go to crushorganics.com. That's crush with a K. Use the code Neil on that one. N-E-E-L. You get 40% off. That's a lot. You're basically paying half price. So go to crushorganics.com. If you haven't used CBD oil before, just Start off with one or two drops. And not to mention, they also have CBD oil for pets. And they've got pain cream. They've got, they've got a range of products themselves. So Crush Organics, Crush with a K, crushorganics.com. Use the code NEIL. Uh, come see me live. I do shows all across the country. Comedyuntamed.com. It's not just me. There's a collection of uh, brilliant comedians. And we do stand-up in the first half. We do improv in the second half. It's a great night out. So comedyuntamed.com every week in Sydney, every month or so in cities like Brisbane, Melbourne, Newcastle. We've got a Perth show on sale, we've got a Wollongong show on sale, and we may have an Adelaide show on sale by the time this podcast comes out. So comedyuntamed.com. And last Woo-hoo. thing is uh, if you would like to send in a question or a topic to this podcast, neilcolhatka.com slash podcasts and all the money from those subscriptions goes straight to charity. All right. The urge to control. Where does it come from? How have you, how have you experienced the urge to control? And what does it feel like? And can we ever fully avoid it? You know, a lot of the uh, well, just philosophies and, and religions are constantly talking about uh, trying to, well, not be in control, but being aware of the, the ego and, push to be altruistic and even that can get to a point where you're actually just trying to control other people so it's something to be acutely aware of uh how Mm. does this manifest in relationships as well let's let's go through that but uh Mm. this was your topic idealizer so what was the catalyst for you wanting to talk about this and and then also have you experienced uh, well, we've all we've all experienced feelings where we've wanted to control either a partner or a, an outcome or a situation. But how have you experienced it in your life, and how have you come to terms with that? Yeah, well, actually, the catalyst has been like I think I've been experiencing it a lot recently, and it took me ages, like months, to realize that it was actually stemming from 
the need to control. Um, and I've realized it was quite like a, as much as I like to practice self-awareness and mindfulness about myself. And I think, you know, I feel like I know myself really well. I was actually quite shocked, um, to, to discover about myself that I do have like a, a bit of a need of control, um, and a desire for control. And I didn't realize it until basically like last week. Um, and I, cause in my mind I had confused the need for control with willingness for change. So I always thought, well, I'm really easygoing. Change never bothers me. I'm happy with change, etc. Um, so therefore I don't need to control things in life. I'll just take what comes, but I didn't realize in my own ways, I was controlling a lot of things in my life and it was kind of being like detrimental to myself. So like what, um, kind of brought this on for me is, um, my pregnancy being a lot more like hormonal and emotional all the time, blah, blah, blah. Very common to happen in pregnancy where there's all seen that stereotype of pregnant women. And I was really, really struggling. Oh, by the way, this might be a trigger warning just about, I'm going to speak about miscarriage and uh, pregnancy loss. And I was really struggling for months fearing, um, stillbirth. Um, and it's been on my mind massively nonstop all day, every day, having a anxiety about, um, having like a, a stillborn baby. And it was really weird for me because I always thought of myself as someone that would go through pregnancy and love it. Think that'd be super easy, smooth sailing for me. Cause I got a pregnant body like type that would pregnancy should flourish in me, blah, blah, blah. And I did have um, a miscarriage right like the month before I fell pregnant. So I wondered if it might stem from that. But basically, I was so well informed during my pregnancy. I know every single statistic in Australia and the world about stillbirth rates, miscarriage rates, what causes them, what puts you at risk, all these things. Like I just had to like know everything. And then with COVID, I researched everything about COVID. Real, and real quickly, what are some that. of the risks that people um, might not be yeah. aware of? Were there any risks that particularly shocked you? Well, basically it said that there's only risks like one third of stillbirths could be avoided and two thirds can't be avoided. It's just chance, like a cord wrapped around baby's neck. Sometimes babies clamp the cords in their hands, um, the umbilical cord I'm talking about. There can be knots in your um, cord. You can have amniotic fluid leaking. There's so many reasons why babies can just die randomly in the womb. And which I didn't really think it was, it's still not that common. It's actually quite common in America and it's very uncommon in Australia, which is interesting. Mm, that is interesting. Um, but the, the system's very different in how they support women and the highest rates of um, stillbirths happen in black women in America, almost across the world. So that's um, really sad actually. But um, other than that, the risks were like being overweight, having gestational diabetes, um, any kind of things that might've occurred or if your baby has any issues in the womb, um, placenta placement, cervix placement, <laughs> so many like different variations it's wild and the biggest thing they say that you can do to be aware of it is um to monitor your baby's movement so they're like forget about the heartbeat because i bought a doppler so i could sit here as heartbeat and that would be really assuring at the start and they were like no forget about the heartbeat you need to be measuring how many times he kicks you and like know his pattern and blah 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 but for some women like me, <laughs> my placenta, um, which if you don't know, is a dinner plate size organ you grow in your pregnancy. And it's basically what feeds your baby. So the, the cord is attached to placenta, which is attached to um, the baby. So it's pretty fascinating. You literally grow another organ during pregnancy as well as a baby. And it's giant. Um, and for some women, their placenta grows on the front, which is what mine did. So mine's right behind my belly button, which means that when baby's kicking, I can't feel it a lot of the time because he's kicking my placenta rather than my skin. Right. Like most 
women, you can see their foot like poking through and stuff. Like I can't feel that. So I've gone, as you know, <laughs> I've had to cancel a couple of times because I've literally gone to hospital being like, I haven't felt him in like a day or two days. And they're like, oh my God, you need to come in if you haven't felt him for two hours. But then every time it's been right. fine because it's my placenta. So Gosh. there's so many like <laughs> stressful things. Um, and I was really like getting overwhelmed by, I can't, I had a baby shower planned, like a whole thing was supposed to happen a couple of weeks ago and I canceled it because I was so scared that someone would give me COVID. Um, and then I mean, look, that's you a big risk <laughs> to babies. take every precaution necessary <laughs> in this situation. Need... Yeah. Yeah. And I was really just trying to like kind of control every single outcome. And what's really interesting, I have a cousin um, and she's like a very highly, highly spiritual person. It's her job. She's like a, she works for herself as like a spiritual guide. Like it's top level hippie kind of homeschool, home birth, travels around in a van, like that kind of girl. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And um, I haven't spoken to her for like, 10 years and she had like a inkling to reach out to me um which was kind of I was thinking god she's psychic and she was like I heard you're pregnant that's amazing like are you going okay and I said I'm like really stressing about this this and this like I just can't help thinking I'm gonna have like the worst case scenario and then she just gave me like the most simple piece of advice and she was just like you need to surrender to the process like you just need to like surrender and she said like your anxiety is coming from the fact that you can't control this situation. Whereas like previously in my life, I could research everything. I'm a big researcher and I love researching things. And so if a friend comes like the other day, my friend came to me saying she has these like red spots around her eye and I gave her like a folder of (laughs) every cause and a diet she needs to do and like diagnosed her. Um, And she's like, this is one thing that being over-informed in it's not going to sway the outcome. Like you can't prevent that from happening, that chance from happening. If it happens, it happens. And it's, you know, it's devastating, but you're just going to have to go with the flow. And it's like, as soon as I heard those words, it just like switched off for me, literally night and day. And that anxiety and fear of mine has completely, completely gone. And then it caused me to kind of do heaps of internal um, reflection being like, how has this been such a blind spot for me for so long? Like, how have I not made that connection that this is about control for me? Um, And I guess control stems from fear. So there is a fear behind what we're trying to control. And then I was trying to apply it to other phases of my life and thinking back, especially in relationships, which will be interesting to talk about later because I was... I really struggle connecting sometimes. Like I don't, the only type of people that I don't love and adore. So basically everyone I meet, I really like, but the people I struggle with the most are the people that I can't read and understand exactly everything that they've gone through, their childhood. (laughs) I can't psychoanalyze them. They're just like blocked and I cannot connect with them. And they might think, Oh, we're friends. And um, to me, I'm like, I no, we're not because I don't know every single thing about them um, and understand them to a T. And I struggle with you sometimes, especially at the beginning before I knew you so well through all our conversations. You're very like, you're not an easy person to read either. You're quite like, thank you. I you take that as a compliment. A lot. Actually, thank you. <laughs> it is a compliment. Yeah. It is. I wish I was more like that. Like, literally, I'll be like, I'll just talk about <laughs> my inner turmoils or whatever to anyone. And I'm very easy to any emotion I have is on my face. Whereas you're like, you're like cool, calm, collected when you're exterior. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yes. And then I realized in my reflection that that is another way that I control things where I need to know where I stand with people and um, how they perceive me and also exactly what their motives are, understanding them as a person. And that also kind of stems into why all the men or or people that I've dated um, successfully have been people that I know like are so devoted and know like the palm of my hand backwards inside out I know them so well like there's no mystery (laughs) I think Uh, because that was comforting I guess I think that's why we're probably attracted to this kind of subject matter 
understanding people and, and mm. human psychology and relationship psychology because mm. I think we have that in common. We we like to understand what drives people, where they're coming yeah. from, uh, the full picture of why they are the way they are, not just as a collection of traits. And I've felt very similar ways. I've I've definitely uh, struggled to comprehend people that I can't not not necessarily put in a box, but have a a narrative about why they are the way they are, mm. and also groups of people. I ext- extrapolate that out into maybe political ideologies or uh, religions or cultures as well. I I I, I also have. Yeah, we could call it an obsession to try and unpack, understand yeah. and explain the way uh, people are, why they are. And it's just the way I operate. It seems so uh, natural to me. And whenever I've been given this advice of, oh, just don't be attached to the outcome and just uh, just go with the flow, I, I do sometimes find it... Uh, to be hippie nonsense, but that's also a bit of my um, ego, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, mm. because there are situations where I can't help but feel you, you'd want to be uh, to some degree in control of what's happening. So, you know, once you actually have this baby, you're going to want to control what it can and cannot do when it's a toddler, yeah. you want to set boundaries in place. Mm. You need to have some degree of control over the people you're mm. responsible for, over your colleagues, your friends, your uh, partners. However, that can very easily get to a point where it becomes self-serving and it's not conducive to the most harmonious relationship, nor is it conducive mm. to the goodwill and the uh, just uh, positive development of the people that you are interacting with. Now, we see this a lot in romantic relationships. Uh, we, see, we hear a lot about the, con- the controlling boyfriend don't hear as much about mm. the controlling girlfriend or, or wife in, in the context of heterosexual relationships here. But as we've spoken about on previous podcasts, a lot of uh, uh, behaviors that sort of tacitly are trying to gain control that are exhibited by women are either sort of passive aggressive or underhanded. Whereas mm. with men, it can be very direct. I don't want you going to that uh, gathering. Uh, I'm not comfortable with you going to this work function, doing this, doing that, et cetera, et cetera, just fill in the blank, standard red flag. Mm. But again, there's also a responsibility on each partner to, uh, if, you, if you're willing to be in a commitment with this person, you have to accept some of the boundaries that are placed on you in the context of a relationship. And some of them are very reasonable. Hey, I don't want you going on a one night vacation with your ex, something like that. I'm sure everyone would agree yeah. that is that is clearly uh, a line that has been crossed. And then you get to a gray area where a lot of people think that might be controlling, that might be boundaries. How do we, how, how can we, uh, this is something that just plagues my mind. How do you know when the uh, urge to control is coming from a place of, wanting to be, I suppose, organized and wanting what is best for a professional organization, a relationship, a family, whatever it may be. And that could be from experience. Mm. You know, uh, someone who's a superior in a professional environment will have a degree of control over what their subordinates should be doing. And that is for the sake of the the company or the organization. Um, But then how do we also discern when that urge to control is becoming nefarious and malicious and is actually Mm. just coming from a place of ego because it's impossible to tell the person exhibiting the behavior almost certainly has a narrative of i'm doing this for the for the greater good or i'm doing this because i think it's right if you ask anyone in a controlling relationship the person who was exhibiting that controlling behavior you, you ask them why are you doing it they would most likely say they wouldn't say yeah i just need to control them they would say well i'm doing it because it's what's right it's because it's what is good for the relationship now some would say it's my duty and i just grew up in a culture that says this is what you're supposed to do but my guess is that it would Mm. be more the uh aforementioned phenomenon where people just genuinely believe they're trying to uh do the right thing and and control something for the greater good so how do you differentiate between those those two phenomena 
Yeah, it's a challenging thing. And I think that the key is, is understanding that we may not actually need to differentiate between the two, but just to understand when we are in a state of control um, and how our egos protect us from acknowledging that, that we're in that state of control and that we would find ways to justify it being like, well, I'm telling this person they can't go out because of this, whereas really what's happening is I fear that this person could cheat on me or I fear that they might make find a connection with someone else and understanding that I'm trying to control that outcome by saying no or you can't do that or this is what I expect and things like that. Um, so I think the first key is understanding when we are making a decision or telling someone something or doing something that is actually coming from a place of um, control. Like recently when I was, I had a, my work farewell and my, my boss said to everyone, um, Eliza is the calmest, most level-headed manager I've ever worked with. And, uh, you know, in the, in the three years she was here, she never got upset. She never got bothered. And we always had this joke that the day Eliza gets, um, gets stressed at work, we know we're in like <laughs> up shit creek. <laughs> And I was like, yeah, like, you know, and it's kind of of like that narrative also was playing in my head as well. Like I'm very easygoing and whatever, cheerful, happy and any situation that comes up, I'm happy to deal with. But then I'm actually at the same time doing this um, leadership course currently and I have a coach, my, uh, my own coach, and she challenges me a lot in a way that I love. And she was like, well, you kind of are like... Yeah, you're easygoing, but you're also controlling aspects. Whereas, you know, my team, if they're struggling with a family or a client, I will deep dive and go into that family. I will be like, let me solve it. Let me fix it. And that's me controlling it because I want that outcome that I want. And if I can't trust someone else to do it, I'll be doing it myself. And that person was interpreting it as Eliza is so giving and she will she will step in and she'll support me and I've always felt you know supported and I that's how I was interpreting my own actions as well but really it was a control of the outcome so I think the first step is recognizing when do we do this and what causes us to do it and what is the fear beneath that so is it are we fearing the risk of our relationship are we fearing like the consequences of work or to a client those kind of things surely Um, there is also there are situations where some degree of control is justified say i'm coming back to a a parent with their children uh the child it's found out that they're hanging around a group of people that are doing drugs i mean surely then you would agree okay it's now my responsibility to control this outcome as as best as i can get this kid away from uh these friends now i know with human nature the way it is people are especially at that age can be inherently rebellious and it would be a minefield to try and work through that but the an attitude of uh oh it's just the universe it's the let the chips fall the way they do they've got to learn that themselves you know Surely there are situations where that's just that just comes across as well silly in in, in just that situation I I, no, I suggested. Yeah. So where do you yeah. where do you draw that line? What do you what do you think? Well, in that situation, I actually kind of disagree because the one thing I learned <laughs> working specifically with teenagers is that when parents put boundaries in that they don't like, like you have to be home by seven this that it never works and it goes further the other way so in that case i would say it's the parents response their responsibility is not to control every single risk to that teenager because there's going to be you know if you eliminate the risk of drugs it's going to be underage sex or unprotected sex if you eliminate that risk it's going to be gang activity or something you know like there's always going to be things like that but the relationship with the parent and the way that the parent educates a child on these risks is their responsibility rather than putting in rules and boundaries. However, I do think that if you have a baby or a toddler um, and or even the child under the age of maybe like seven before they really learn their sense of self and develop their identity as an I rather than like a we, um, then you are more in control and you do need to control these things. Um, But even then, I'm very much of a if a kid's drawing on a wall, I don't say like, stop that right now. I say, draw on this instead. Um, and there's a lot of studies that show that when kids draw on walls or 
something of similar and you say stop that right now they're going to do it three four five times afterwards until the consequence is too like severe for them to do it but if you say do this instead the next time they get that urge they get out the piece of paper and draw on that instead like what the way you taught them so in some ways you don't have to control aspects of other people's lives but that being said you do need to control aspects of your own lives you need to like keep yourself accountable you need to be determined you need to be doing things um you need to be in control of what you eat at some point like I know that like I have a tendency to just like lose control and I'll binge eat or whatever like because I feel like it um and that is complete like lack of control at times um and I can be like impulsive with my money and things like that and that's lack of control and I know that in some aspects I need to implement more control um but I think it's about when you're trying to control situations that are outside of um our realm of control or like you know that we can't influence every single factor and that by doing so we're putting ourselves in a state of stress um it's not healthy And it's something that we do so subconsciously, even just saying like, you know, I expect you to do, like you might say to your partner, I expect that you don't watch pornography or follow, you know, Instagram girls in bikinis. And in some ways you're trying to control the outcome of, you know, potential what you perceive as disloyalty maybe, but at the same time, you're also justified in putting that boundary in if that's what makes you feel uncomfortable. The person you're saying it to isn't obligated to respect that boundary if they don't agree with it. Um, And in which case you'd probably be incompatible, but you're allowed to say like, this is a situation I'm uncomfortable with. So it is a bit of a hard thing to balance. I think the importance is recognizing, okay, I'm in a situation that I'm trying to control. Is it my ego? Is it a safety thing? What am I trying to control? And is it something that I need to actually be in control of of this moment and understanding what the control is? And is this control stemming from fear? Is it a fear of loss? Is it a fear of this? In which case it may not be the healthiest. I think a lot of the urge to control in interpersonal relationships would be coming from a place of fear or insecurity. Yeah. Uh, And that is often justified in people's minds as just being precautionary. So... I uh, will try and move people that I'm working with in a direction of being as, as sort of diligent and professional as I think they're capable of. However, yes, I also mm. uh, ponder the possibility that I'm just trying to control the outcome and this is a purely self-serving thing. Uh, however, I mean, in any sort of organization, there are people that are in positions of power and we're going we're gonna to talk about that in the next podcast. That's going to be a fun one. Uh, who will be telling others what to do. And that is coming from a place of experience. Yeah. That is coming from a place of, hey, well, well it, it, in, an, in an ideal world, it's coming from a place of experience and this is what is good for yeah. you in the long term because sometimes what's, yeah, what and might leadership. be good for us in the long term can be mm-hmm. uh, hard in the short term. You have to set good habits and it, it just, it's, it's, you know, it's such a uh, complicated issue, isn't it? Because you can even extrapolate that out further into governments. How much control should a government have over its population? Say yeah. uh, now they've done a lot to ban smoking. Uh, it's still legal in certain areas and things, yeah. but, uh, you know, that's arguably a form of control and sort of libertarians and, yeah. and then conservatives will be against government control but then uh people uh they'll also be in favor of more cultural control and then uh maybe people on the left will be in favor of a bit more government control over certain things but then uh in favor of the government not controlling Mm. certain things like drugs and you know sex and whatnot so if there's just no control if there are no rules and no boundaries i don't think that's healthy for an individual or a society that maybe the purge. Which one's that? Sorry, <laughs> we've just turned in the purge, where they have like oh, yeah. twenty four hours, where there's no like, <laughs> no. Yeah, it's a really good point because I guess it, I guess it comes down to when is control benefiting us, and the aim should never be to not be in control or have control, but when is it hindering us, and when is it helping us, and when are we, or are we in in general, are we aware of when we're 
trying to exactly. gain control. Like, uh, but what do you, what's your like experience? Because we were having a little chat before we started filming um, of this nature. So like, what's your like experience of the way that you want to control things, or is this something like a common theme in your uh, life? Yeah, I've struggled with it because I'm very perfectionistic, and I well, I guess so you you tell yourself mm. all these narratives and. I don't know, from an external point of view, it could just yeah. be I'm a cunt. I don't, I don't know. But um, <laughs> I definitely find myself to be uh, to exhibit more of those behaviors when I do feel insecure and when I don't feel like there's a nice, consistent structure in place. Um, I, and I've, I've, mm-hmm. I've learned that through relationships. If I'm with a girl who lives in the moment and is often very fun and vivacious and adventurous... I'm just not compatible with that sort of a person long term. I will end up trying to yeah. plan everything into the future about where the relationship's going to go, what the exact boundaries are, and immediately they see that as mm. control and then they don't respond mm. well to that. I get more insecure and as a result, I kind of get more controlling and it's a mess. Mm. It's not nice. Um what I have with my girlfriend now is we have very similar attitudes to that sort of thing, particularly planning for the future and so just consistency in our routine. And we're also sort of talking about how we can maintain spontaneity and adventure and all those sorts of classic conversations that yeah. you know, couples have to have eventually. But uh, ultimately, we're similar in that regard. And the, the, the best, the most impactful book I read on this subject was Why Him, Why Her. It was recommended to me by Jordan. And it talked about how there are four main... Oh, yeah sort of people based on the primary chemical uh that that's the primary hormone that they're uh responding to in their brain can be sort of categorized into four but i mean even this is a way see i'm like you i like to research things and understand this and this just made me feel a lot better when i understood it now yeah potentially i'm trying to control things there but um i can't help but feel that it's it's just valuable information for everyone there are people who are sort of testosterone focused they're called directors and they are very much uh, in in pursuit of, they have an obsessive mind and they're usually in pursuit of one often lofty goal and can be very obsessive. They uh, are often very, they can be very attractive, particularly if they're, they're male directors. Um, and then some of the downsides is, yeah, that they're just not good at necessarily planning things in the future and they can lack a bit of adventure and spark and can come across as cold and, uh, brutish at right. times and then you have builders which i think is what i primarily am which are people who are serotonin yeah. based and they just like everything to be planned and uh managed well and they like consistency and structure and order and i i honestly think these sorts of traits can can give you a big insight into what sort of uh politics people may have i th- i would guess most mm. sort of people on the right now would would likely mm. be builder types because they like order and they like things Mm. to be consistent and and just Mm. to predictable and to know what to expect and then you can plan as a result of that then there are people who are uh um sorry i'm just mind blanking on the on the chemical estrogen based and they are um negotiators so they're i think you're a negotiator but i wouldn't you you should do the test it'll be very interesting um so these are people who just need to to connect with people socially and are often very much focused on personal relationships and Mm. usually negotiators and directors make good relationships. Um, Mm. They did say two builders together often make the best relationship, which I think my girlfriend Ah. is also a builder and I am. And it it just, at least in, our experience so far has been a very sort of coordinated and healthy relationship. There has not been any big ups or downs. And as I've experienced in previous relationships, I think my ex-girlfriend was a the last one of the four, which is an explorer. So these are dopamine-based people who crave... Everyone, everyone has these chemicals to some degree, but the primary one is what drives you. And mm. uh, these are people who are dopamine-based. And so they 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 actually detest routine and structure and all these things they see it as controlling and so that's why i think about a lot of the conversations yeah. that ended up being arguments with my ex that i was trying to plan for what 
was good for the relate, which in my mind I thought was good for the relationship, you know, especially in the context of it not being a traditional monogamous relationship. I needed a lot of security in that regard mm. and to plan exactly what the mm. boundaries are and the rules are and things of that nature. And she would often talk to me about how it felt controlling and she used that word a lot. And to me, I just thought oh, it's wow. not, it's this planning. We're not, con- I'm not controlling any, anything, but <laughs> yeah. it was just a complete incompatibility. Yeah. Um, and yeah. builders and negotiators, sometimes they don't get along necessarily because uh, negotiators are very, mm. I suppose, feelings based and builders tend to be more, uh, uh, ra- rational and, and, and logical Logic. and can kind of get a yeah. bit annoyed at negotiators <laughs> yeah. and, and it comes across as yeah. uh, being self-absorbed to them. But, I, you know, anyway, to, just to, to sum up what I'm trying to say there is like people's urge to control comes out in very different ways and I think people, not only do, they ha- do we have an urge to control, especially if we th- feel like we're not in control of things, and life feels unpredictable and insecure, then I think we're more likely to have either an urge to control or just to detach entirely. And that's where you get the whole anxious, attached, avoidant as well. Mm. But I think society uh, needs elements of control and elements of freedom. And if you look at any human society, community or culture, there are uh, aspects that aim to control the behavior of the adherents, whether they are cultural or governmental and they're usually based on either shame or fear i mean the reason i can't go out and just rob a bank is because society has set a boundary saying well you can't do that and and if you do the consequence is the police will come and get you so Mm. through fear i mean it's it would be beneficial Mm. to me if i could rob that bank and get a bunch of money and not be found out why wouldn't i do that right but I mean, obviously also then there's a question of ethics and and we all also have empathy, but there's a lot of people who are not doing Mm. certain things just due to fear. I'm sure there would be a lot of people who would want to go and Mm. rob banks and and, and not to get too dark here, but do all sorts of other crimes. But the reason they're not doing it is because Mm. of fear and that is a, a degree of control. But then there's also control in a arguably a more feminine conception which is the um social shame aspect and the ostracization and and a a very modern conception of that can be Mm. be argued that it's cancel culture right because we are trying to control Mm. what people are saying online without letting them see i would argue that there probably needs to be more of that ethos of what your cousin was talking about which is let people learn from their mistakes allow a sort of general mm. uh, environment of, of freedom of expression, not without consequences, but not without these extraordinarily harsh uh, consequences of sort of digital uh, social ostracization and de- banishing someone from a tribe, essentially. Mm. And that's, you know, it's a form of control. And, and, and many people would and argue how? that because <laughs> mm. uh, our culture has sort of, uh, foregone its previous aspects of control, which may have been through uh, cultural pressures, through re- religion or just nationalism or whatever it may be, they are now seeking uh, new forms of control that are often justified as com- the compassionate thing to do, right? It's it's just the exact same thing, but extrapolated mm-hmm. out onto a collective scale. And I, I find it, um, that interests me a lot, the sort of, adapting relationship psychology and relationship dynamics to um you know ideologies and tribalism i think that's very interesting to Mm, me and i think the exact same thing could be said with say you know various minority groups and and the uh the school of thought that purports to be doing what's good for them when in in my best estimation it's it definitely has elements of of that control that you would see in a, in a similar toxic relationship where someone is saying, I'm doing what's right for you. You just have to adhere to exactly what I'm saying. You just have to trust me. Um, and you have to do all these yeah. things and, and people are, st- I think, starting to feel quite controlled in that sense. So this is not something that's just unique mm. to relationships, is it? It's, it's all throughout mm. society and, and it's very complex because like I said, I think we, we all need, to be controlled to some degree, we need to have a set of guidelines that we believe in 
and this big problem is that we've lost faith and you know particularly millennials and gen z have sort of lost faith in the in the you know behavioral cultural and governmental institutions of the past well they've lost a lot a lot of people have not everyone but um now the question to me is you know what how do we integrate those shadow elements the urge to control and the need to be controlled into a culture of the future or a government of the of the future you know Mm -hmm. something like take a big issue like climate change right like that's an outcome where i'm sure you would agree we we need to try and control this to some degree because if we have that yeah and you want people to step up and take control being like that's it's such a good point like sometimes you're actually desperately seeking control absolutely and you're like step up and do something Where exactly the because power? then if you have that similar thing of like yeah. oh well, you know we've got to learn from our mistakes and we've got to um just just see where the chips fall and that's and that's fate that's life i mean it's mm. defeatist isn't it because it's yeah maybe we'd learn a lot more when we face the repercussions but we also don't really have a long uh, uh, we don't have a mind that's built for long-term thinking generally. Some people do more than others, but we yeah. make short-term decisions and we're going to face severe consequences unless we try and control that outcome because we do have the power to control that to a certain degree. But I guess the old wisdom and, and what you see in a lot of films and TV shows where someone goes back in time is that the more you try to control an outcome, the more it it, it can become a self-fulfilling prophecy as well. Um, the more you sort yes. of try to control uh, your your girlfriend in, in, to make sure she doesn't cheat, then, well, she's going to lose interest in you anyway and is more likely to cheat. So it's just there's just so many um, uh, elements of, of the human condition that are, that are, I guess, encapsulated by just mm. the word control. And it's very fascinating mm. to me anyway. And how, like contrasting it can be between people like even just you and I like before when you were talking about your 10-year plan I love (laughs) that you have that (laughs) 10-year plan and you're like a little bit stressed because you're like well what's it going to be in 10 years because this these factors and um and you're so like considerate of all the factors whereas I'm like polar opposite I was nine months into a relationship with Adrian and I got this idea one day like hey we should buy a house and then one month later I went up to the central coast and I saw this house had a sign out the front saying house of healing (laughs) and I said sold Adrian hadn't even seen it (laughs) I was like give me some of your money we're getting this house and um no regret but (laughs) you'd probably be like thinking about it considering it I like to I have that identity about myself, but I also do make pretty emotional decisions sometimes and I don't necessarily think things through. Yeah. Even even um, in professionally, I just make pretty snap decisions about what I'm feeling when it comes to a certain vision. Uh, so it's not all perfectly planned yeah. out. I suppose I, 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 I like what I was talking about before the podcast. It's just the, the media world is in s- such a state of chaos and it's because I'm that builder type yeah. of person. I just... I can't, I don't know what to do in the next 10 years because I don't know what the media world and, and what the arts is even going to look like. So um, I wish yeah. I could just detach a bit more from that and, and just, you know, live in the moment and focus on what I need to do this week, which I still try to do, but there's this lingering dread in the back of my mind about, oh my God, what should I be doing that is going to be the most conducive to not just success, but um, uh, well, happiness, contentment, fulfillment in the next yeah. five to 10 to 20 years, because there's just so many, I mean, like this, you're going to mm-hmm. laugh at this. Like the last week I was thinking about, uh, do I need to take a year or two off and try something completely different, try a different job? But do I want to, part of me has always wanted to go and, you know, live on a self-sustainable property somewhere, but then you, you take into the cha- you take into account the chaotic um, element of the environment and what that may look like in another 10 to 20 years some of the bushfires we had yeah. a year or two ago, it's it's likely that's just the start. And I'm not going to do all that yeah. and, and risk it all being burnt down or, or flooded or something like that. So, you know, there's just so many, I just, no one knows what the future is going to look like. And maybe I, yeah, I probably need to have a bit more of that mentality, but I, I really, it's something I actually truly do struggle with. I, I really like to at least predict what I think is going to happen and plan accordingly. 
And when I feel like I, do, I have no idea what yeah. may happen, it just it stresses me out to no end. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. So it's there's pros and cons, isn't it? In some ways, it's so good when you're like considering what's going to be the most conducive for happiness and you know and and wealth or whatever in this many years. And it's so good because you you will be actually putting in things in place that are going to be leading you towards that. But at the same time, you're always thinking about it and you're always in a state of planning yeah. on, on what's next. You're so a what's next type of person. Yeah. What's coming what, up? So, what's so, my next thing? So you were projects. able to talk to that cousin of yours and, and just with that one conversation, it immediately alleviated a lot of the stress you were feeling. You didn't, it wasn't a process. It wasn't some sort of... No, it was literally night and day for me like a snap it was crazy and as soon as I had made the connection and understood what it was it released it for me um and I just decided then and then yeah you're right I got to surrender to it and that's exactly what I did and I actually started as well like doing a journal every single day I write um like three or four things I'm grateful for. Then I write like my like affirmations, basically saying like, I surrender to the process of birth. Um, what's meant to be will be, etc. Then I write things that I've done productive that day. So like things, kind of things to make myself feel like I should be proud. I did this, this and this. Um, and then I write any reflections I have. Like nice. those are like my four domains. And I find that really helpful because it's like, you know, I always talk about the connection we need to have with ourselves spiritually and self-awareness and even I at times you know move out of that it's hard to stay in that effort of continuously doing that for yourself but there was such a good reminder to me of how helpful it is to be like that and to implement those things in your life um and it's just made the last few like weeks since that happened so much more bearable um to not have that I'd much rather the physical stress of pregnancy rather than that emotional stress it's a thousand times easier to deal with so yeah nice it's interesting yeah you take a leaf out of your book there i guess it's (laughs) you and i are like such ends of the spectrums we need to just like our baby would be the perfect balance (laughs) i think if we (laughs) if we had a baby of just like exactly what they need to be or otherwise it would be a child of pure chaos because they had such different like parenting styles (laughs) but yeah i think another important part just like quickly on on control is also like the a, a perceived lack of control can be something that implements more unnecessary control in um in our lives and i think the best example of that is specifically like uh eating disorders often comes from people that feel like they can't control what's going on around them. And this is something I can control easily, what I put into my body, how much I eat, and then it spirals from there. So it's it's important to really, really be aware of what are we controlling and what do we feel like is out of control for us? Because I know like, for example, I never experience it, but um, Adrian certainly experiences anxiety about what things he can't control. And he's always considering, what about this? What about that? And I, and sometimes when I'm not thinking therapeutically or I'm just instinctively, my first reaction is like, well, why are you thinking about it? You can't control it. Just don't think about it. It's done. <laughs> Easy as that. Um, but then other times on, on my end of the spectrum, I'm like, fuck, I wish I had thought about this. Like, I wish I had put things in place. I wish I had um, actually made a plan and considered these things rather than just going, yeah, we'll do that. Uh, so it's it's a, it's really everything comes down to awareness. The end of our podcast, I feel I like it all yeah, is just yeah. about <laughs> self awareness. Yeah. Is the summary? Well, you need a bit of both, don't you? I <laughs> yeah. think a, a relationship needs both. An individual yeah. needs both. A society needs both. A society needs to be planning for the future whilst yeah. also yeah. Uh, operating within some parameters of freedom and and liberalism there. And uh, what will happen if there's a perceived lack of control among a populace is they vote for very controlling candidates don't they i mean it's that's the story of history when uh when there are food shortages and when there uh, is economic calamity they're likely to vote for uh, a a highly controlling uh political figure i mean you look at something like china that is a very 
controlled environment. I mean, I, I think the West is actually more controlled than people realize, but you know, China in terms of governmental control, it's all very ordered. Speaking of uh, things out of my control, uh, something's happened. I don't know if it's the construction in my house or it's just Optus, but the internet oh, issues I've been facing recently are an absolute nightmare. And if there's ever a sign, it's it's that. Um, so we were just it just cut out recently. Basically, that's what happened. And um, we'll, we'll just conclude that there. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I got to go and do some soul searching about how not to get mad about things that are out of my control, such as the uh, quality of the podcast due to internet cutting out. And I do apologize again, and and this irks me to to no end. Believe me. So, um, thank you everyone for listening, and um, we'll see you. We'll see you next week. Thanks for see listening, you next guys. Week. <laughs>